0: Church, let me explain. (laughs) New background. This morning I went to fellowship to record as I do on Thursdays, and they're putting new carpet in. So, yay for fellowship, they're getting new carpet. Where I am right now is hopefully you've read the letter. The letter that went out to our whole church this last Thursday. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just pause a little bit of that conversation for the end of my teaching, but suffice it to say, I'm in a, another church building, a church building that we actually have interest in acquiring. And so we'll get to all of that at the end of the teaching, and you are invited to join us tonight for a walkthrough. But what I want to do is just pause and pray uh, to get us started, you've already as a house church, been praying for Afghanistan, uh, but I want to pray a little bit as well as a whole community and then transition into our teaching this morning. So you with me? All right, let's get started. Father, we are broken and hurting, and we feel like our hands we're, we feel like our hands are tied that where there's nothing we can do but pray right now in this moment for the people of afghanistan the christian churches the pastors the families the women and children of afghanistan as there's so much upheaval and uncertainty and violence a huge change a huge shift is coming and jesus i know this that whenever your church has been pressed has been pushed has been persecuted it grows so God this morning we ask that your spirit would be close to the brokenhearted to the discouraged to the to those in Afghanistan who are fearful for their lives as they worship openly worship you God would you surround them with the love of the church universal the church you Worldwide, that we would come to their aid, that we would lift them in prayer, that we would strengthen them with our resolve. And God, as we head into this new season um, of the fall, if we head into this new teaching as a church, would you solidify us? Would you unify us? Would you uh, give us courage to take the next step in our faith journey? not only as individuals, but together as we link arms. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. We looked at this last week. I just want to start from last week and move forward. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The whole goal of God in us, of God changing us and transforming us, is to become the kind of people who are complete and mature. That there is a purpose for us, that there is a telos for us. That following Jesus isn't about a ticket to heaven and then go about your, the life that you want. Following Jesus is about a, a discipleship uh, structure. It's about apprenticing Jesus. It's about taking on Jesus' way in which it's the best way to live. And typically, followers of Jesus don't have necessarily an easy life. It isn't a life of pilgrimage. It is a life of journeying. It is a life of difficulty and faith and sacrifice, celebration and joy, all of those things. But it is a full life. Jesus says, I came to give life to the fullest. But the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so... Our conversation beginning last week is this idea about being a pilgrim and not a tourist. See, there's two different ways I think we can approach following Jesus and living life. We can live life like a pilgrim or a tourist. A pilgrim is on a journey somewhere. A pilgrim is somebody who has a destination in mind, who has purpose and and a road map in mind of where they're going and why they're going there. A pilgrim actually welcomes difficult parts of the road because those are the process by which you get to where you're going. Just like James said, this idea of trials, that we stumble over trials and and difficulties of many kinds. Why? Because God is actually forming something in us through that perseverance and is making us complete, making us mature, making us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. So that diagnosis you face, that breakup you face, that job loss you face, that, uh, that difficulty, that trial that you face is actually not from God, but used by God to make you the most mature and the most on-purpose person that God has created you to be. And so that your, your life actually speaks what God is trying to speak to this world. Now, a tourist mindset is different. A tourist mindset says, I'm, I'm going to suck the greatest parts out of this life for my benefit. I mean, think about going on a trip. You go on a trip, you want to eat at the best restaurants, you want to see the best sights. you want to be in the best situations where you are served and your life is smooth, that you are relaxing, all those kinds of things. And a pilgrim and uh, a tourist have a totally different itinerary. Uh, a tourist is about their happiness, about their Uh, personal gain and their personal benefit they're grabbing souvenirs Um, they're doing all the things that a tourist does a pilgrim is on a sacred journey a journey to God a journey through the way of Jesus to God and you encounter the people and places and situations along the way that may not be perfect they may be difficult But they're meant to form you and they're meant to for you to interact with along the way. That's what a pilgrim sees. Now, all through Scripture, we see this idea, whether it's the exodus, uh, whether it's being an exile. Read Jeremiah. Read the book of Daniel. This idea of the people wandering, being foreigners and aliens, uh, the people of God uh, being uh, talked about all throughout Scripture as the remnant Meaning there is a, a cluster of people that God has has crafted. Um, and and even out of those people, there is a small batch of people that are actually clinging to God, that are on this pilgrim journey, that are that are not trading a pilgrimage for a tourist visa. Paul Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and many in the literature community, in the literary community believe that this is the greatest piece of Christian. A fiction to ever be written. And some of you Narnia people are going to freak out at that. But the point is, is that Paul Bunyan wrote this um, in the mid-1700s, about se- uh, 1678. He wrote it in England and he actually wrote it while he was in prison. And he was in prison because he had created a small group. He had created, in a sense, a house church, much like how you were meeting today, obviously without the technology and a and a handsome preacher. But the point is, is that he created a small group. Um, It was a weird name for it. They called them conventicles. It's just super goofy, but um, conventicles were groups of people that met and read scripture together, and they asked three main questions. What does the scripture say? Uh, After reading it, what must I do, and what must I hope? And so you would gather in a room with uh, men and women, and you would read scripture, and you would answer those three basic questions together in community. And it was taking over Europe, in England, in Germany, in Sweden. In fact, our church tradition, the way our history uh, branches off from the, uh, you know, the big church, uh, Christian church tree, uh, we actually branch off from the Swedish Lutheran church. Now the Swedish Lutheran Church, where a group of people were, where it's a state church, uh, and and a group of people started to form conventicles, um, and there was an edict passed in 1664 about you can't do that, and the reason why is because the state church was um, embedded into national politics and the monarchy, and so the thinking was as if people were meeting in secret. In doing their own religious stuff, there was actually some potential for revolutionary uh, political movements to be birthed, and so they banned people from meeting in small groups and religious services. So Paul Bunyan is thrown into uh, prison for doing this exact thing, and and like I said before, our church has a history of Swedish immigrants coming to the United States. Um, later on in the 1800s and forming small groups and reading the Bible and practicing the way of Jesus. And so Paul Bunyan is thrown into prison and the, he writes The Pilgrim's Progress, which is, if you've never read it, it's an allegory of the journey between, and it's, it's focused on a guy named Christian, and, and it's a journey between his city, the city of destruction, and the celestial city, or as we would put it, this present age and the age to come. Now, he describes a little bit of this road that a pilgrim is on in his book, and it's old English, so bear with me as I try to get this out. He says, this hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The the difficulty will not offend I'm going to start over because I butchered that. This hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty, the difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up, heart. Let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. You know, our early church fathers actually talked about this journey of following Jesus. And they talked about the three enemies to the soul being the flesh, the world and the devil. Now in scripture, the world can be translated. The word, the world can be translated. Well, the world, the earth, um, but it can also be translated as a mood or an atmosphere. And the, the new Testament writers talked about this atmosphere of the world um, much like you and me are experiencing today, and we know that the, in this atmosphere in which we live, it's easy to have our faith eroded. It's easy to have our our hope drain out, and it's easy to have love see love as corrupted. But sometimes it's really hard to figure out why that's happening, how that ha- how that's happening, and what's going wrong. And it's hard to look at our own journeys and go, where have I gotten off track? Where have I gotten stuck? Where have I gotten jaded? Some of you sitting here listening to this message, whether you're in your house church or you're in your car listening to this message on a podcast, many of you I've actually sat with over the last year and a half. This last year and a half has just ruptured so many things in our lives. And some of you have been discouraged by fellow travelers, meaning on this pilgrimage of following Jesus, of apprenticing Jesus, you're looking around and you're saying, I don't want to be even associated with some of these people who are following Jesus. And you're discouraged by that. Some of you are literally bored. You're bored in this journey. You're bored with the familiarity. You've you've read scripture you've, you've done all these things and you and you're just bored you're just kind of stuck some of you are overwhelmed by the pilgrimage meaning you you see this as such a long journey a long way to go and you don't see any transformation happening um, in your life and, and you you feel like wh- what's the deal like why is this worth it this long journey Journey. Some of you are facing the real um, reality of heaviness in your life. The pain of loss, of suffering, of frustration, of all the stuff that's happening in the world, in our country. And you are just, the heaviness of it is just overwhelming. Now, let's be honest. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus in our day and age has somewhat been captured by the tourist mindset. I mean, if we're really honest. I mean, this idea of visiting an attractive site or, uh, you know, really at our leisure, going to church at our leisure, a a special service, a retreat, uh, a new personality um, teaching uh, scripture. Sometimes the religious life just kind of, for many people, this, this idea of following Jesus comes down to what's popular, what's new, what's slick, and what's workable. Eugene Peterson calls it this. He says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Eugene Peterson is is kind of um, giving a nod to this idea of a pilgrimage, that along the way we pick up virtues, that that through the different passages and through the different parts of the adventure and the journey, you and I are formed, intentionally formed, into the person that God wants us to be. But a tourist mindset is being formed unintentionally that we're just reacting to the things that are happening to us. Gore Vidal says this, today's passion is for the immediate and the casual. And for some of us as Christians, we are sucked into wanting shortcuts and, um, and we want um, to feel a little bit more like there's a, there's a quick way through things, um, whether they're difficult or uncomfortable in our lives. And as a church, we've been here. You know, we've been in this place in between, which I'll get to here in a second. But this idea really actually comes from um, a philosopher who was, in a sense, anti-God, anti-spiritual, and it's Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche looked around him and, and kind of made fun of religious, especially moralistic people. And he actually wrote, and this is a fantastic piece that gave rise to Something that Dallas Willard grabbed onto in in a lot of his writings. This is what Friedrich Nietzsche says, you know, back in the late uh, 19th century. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. This idea of a pilgrimage, right? That there thereby results and, and has always resulted in the long run something that has made life worth living. He's saying that like this should actually mean something, that that our lives should actually mean something, a long obedience in the same direction that actually has results, that actually makes life workable. And this is what Dallas Willard captured in his idea in following Jesus, that to make sense to this life worth living is actually a long obedience in the same direction. And that's kind of where we're at. That's where we're headed this next number of weeks, this throughout the fall. And, and, and here's really going to be our, our guide throughout this journey this fall. And right in the middle, like if you were to just crack open your Bible right in the middle, in the center of the Bible, there are 15 chapters. There are 15 short songs um, in the book of Psalms that are uh, part of a larger collection of liturg- lit, you know, liturgical poems. And these are groups of songs, basically Psalm 120 to 134. And each one of them bears an identical heading called the Songs of Ascent. And the word ascent is kind of a double meaning here because it was meant to be this way that you would walk up towards, uh, the, uh, walk up the steps of the temple in Jerusalem And it was this idea of walking up towards um, God um, in in kind of um, an upward fashion. And what happens is scholars believe that many times as you took a pilgrimage to the city, whether it would be the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Passover, that part of that song journey was the Psalms of Ascent. Now, um, there's, there's a lot of argument on how that looked and, and where that took place and what part of history. But the idea is, is that whenever you went to Jerusalem as a Yahweh-worshipping Jew, you went for either one of those three festivals or you went because of a major life moment, a marriage, an upcoming birth, a tragedy that brought you you towards the God that you worshipped. Now, what's interesting is it's fitting for us, I believe, right now in this moment, not only us as a church, but those of us who follow Jesus in this moment. Because there's so much upheaval, there's so much frustration, division, and there's so much angst. And and we need to recognize and come back and recalibrate to this idea that following Jesus— is a pilgrimage. And we have to ruthlessly eliminate this idea of being a tourist. And I believe these psalms will help us do that because I believe many of us are living in what I talked about earlier this summer was liminal space, kind of a threshold moment. That the doorway between the room we were in and the room we're going is is basically at hand. And we're standing in a threshold. And most of these threshold moments you can see all throughout Scripture. There are liminal spaces all throughout Scripture. Whether it be Abraham and Sarah um, and God is, you know, they're waiting for this promise of God. Uh, Whether it's between Egypt and the promised land. We talked about the entire account of the book of Job. And then this idea of this long-awaited waiting for Messiah, waiting for uh, a, a redeemer in Scripture, but we're also in the middle of a series, uh, you know, a season called the between, when Jesus comes and announces Jesus comes and announces that the kingdom of God is here, and yet in some of his other language, he talks about it's not yet come, and so when he prays. And teaches his disciples how to pray. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there's something in between. That we live in this spot that we call the now and the not yet. That it's not yet fully realized. And we are living in that spot. Now for some of you, you're living in between. In between a diagnosis and a cure. In in, in between a broken relationship and a reconciliation. In between uh, what you thought your life was going to be and what it is. You're living in this angst. And our culture is deeply rooted in this desire to reach a spot in camp. To actually get to achieve, to coast, to kick our feet up. And we fall into that too as followers of Jesus. We fall into that tourist mindset. We want to solve things, fix things, and coast. And it can be easy to come to a comfortable stage in life or a place in our spiritual journey and feel like we've arrived. And that further growth really isn't necessary. And it can be too hard. And it's only for the spiritual elite. And so we would rather just stop where we are and and in a sense build a monument, build a statue, build a a resting place and just kick, kick it there. And this is where we need a healthy, discerning community around us, some companions, um, because this is vitally important for us to move forward. And that's what liminal space is. And that's what I hope this series is for many of us as we start next week in Psalm 120. And Psalm 120, just to give you a preview, is about repentance. And it's where we sit, this this spot, this in-between spot, this pilgrimage moment. We sit honestly in the presence of God, and we just hold our anxiety right there with him. And we do this alone, and we do this with others. And, and we hold our anxiety. We resist this idea that we need to solve it, or we need to get to a, a special place or escape it. Uh, we live with not having the answers. Um, we live with uncertainty. And we actually do our best, and this is so important for us moving forward as a church, to do our best to actually think the best about each other. To be united, to have compassion and grace for each other, to bend for each other, because we're all on this pilgrimage. All right, And so remember, following Jesus is, is this in-between place. In fact, Hebrews 11, is just this great Hebrews. If you haven't read the book of Hebrews or studied a little bit of the background, it was written to give courage and strength to followers of Jesus from a Jewish background. Okay, So to actually take the pieces of Judaism that they they trusted and believed in and to show them how all those pieces fit in pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. And it's the story of this, the Hebrew God Yahweh in Jesus, the flesh of Jesus. And Hebrews 11 says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Right? And that's what this pilgrim journey is. We, we, we live out our lives in the, you know, this day and age, this present world. But we are yearning for a home. We're yearning for things for the, for the not yet. And so as we take this journey through the Psalms of Ascent, I want to ask you to reflect and I want you to be brutally honest in your life. I'm just going to throw some questions here for you. What has stopped you on your journey? What has stopped you? What has discouraged you? What has encouraged you in your journey? Who has encouraged you in your journey? What has distracted you? What has wounded you? What has numbed you? What has broken you? And I want you to reflect on those. And I want to close with a quote from William Faulkner. Um, And I talked a little bit before about monuments, but this just struck me. Um, As we talk about this journey as this pilgrimage. He says, these are not monuments, but footprints. A monument says, at least I got this far. At least I got this far. While a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. Church, I'm I'm pleading with you to move again. And some of you are stuck and you don't know why. I'm pleading with you that this isn't a monument, but this is the moment, this is the place where you begin to move again. Let me pray. Father, this morning we have so much in our world and in our lives. As families, as individuals, but also as a church that is up in the air, that is not settled. It demands our attention. And and yet sometimes it discourages us and hurts us. God, we have people in our lives that need our encouragement. We need each other so much in this season. God, will you show us that next step forward? Will you show us the place where this is where it was when I moved again? This is the difficult next step I took. God, walk with us as we journey as pilgrims this fall. Draw us into what it looks like to follow you as a pilgrim and not a tourist. We pray these things in your name.